0: Today, today. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. We just got some awesome uh, stats in from our Spotify. We are in the top 5% most followed podcasts top 5% most shared globally, and we have 3,824 folks who have Bread to Build lists as their go-to podcast. Uh, One thing that I wanted to say is none of this would be possible without you guys who have listened, been a guest, and shared the episode or an episode with your friends. Um, We've had countless messages, both Matt and I, uh, messages around, you know, we've helped next-gen professionals choose a career in construction, even though when their parents told them otherwise helped people feel less alone when they're overcoming addiction, helped leaders find new ways to bring the best out of their people, and have helped uh, business owners gain a new level of confidence in their business and personal growth. Receiving messages like this is exactly why we do the podcast. Uh, We want to bring our community together uh, by sharing the stories that can help each other build businesses and find more success in our careers. If you're new here, Matt and I are thankful for your support, and our number one goal is that you can come away from each and every podcast episode learning at least one thing new. With that being said, if you like what we're doing, all we ask is you hit that little subscribe button. My name is Brett Goen. I'm the founder of Hammer and Builders of Insta, and today I'm joined by my
1: co-host, Matt Panella. What's going on, guys? It's Matt Piniella, also known as Matt Bingswood. Um, Brett, I got to say, I'm, I'm pretty proud of us. I, I didn't think we would hit that number next year it's top one percent or we're shooting for it you know what's funny matt
0: is we spent over a month contemplating of even starting a podcast i specifically remember oh yeah no we had i was a, on a run a and i called you and i was like dude if we don't record episode number one by x date like we should just not even contemplate starting one yeah we talked about getting the mic getting the setup how we we're going to manage this within our community and none of that mattered until no. we uh uh, recorded number one, which was with uh, diamondback tool belt. So thank you, after, Connor, after for taking a,
1: that leap of faith. A couple glasses of wine. <laughs> that was a great conversation. Yeah. So um,
0: yeah, thanks for everybody for, for tuning in and supporting us, uh, both us and our amazing guests. Today, we have Keith Calloway Jr. on the show. He's probably one of my favorite uh, human beings. Um, this guy found himself Addicted to drugs. He had burnt everything to the ground around him. And today we're going to be talking about his incredible comeback story, uh, growing the second generation family business, battling imposter syndrome, moving through discomfort, and learning some key takeaways after he just recently completed a 100, yes, 100 mile ultra marathon, which is bonkers. So I'm excited to uh, jump into that. Keith, welcome to the Bread to Build podcast
2: man how do you guys how do i how do i go after that like top five percent i'm like a i'm like a barely scraped by 60 percenter so oh
1: dude you are a solid 10 <laughs> solid <laughs> 10%-er.
2: Yeah, You're 10 percenter thanks for the invite i'm I'm looking forward to to talking with you guys and seeing what value i can add to other people's lives
1: It's, it's Jeez. gonna be a good one i think you have a story that a lot of people need to hear because obviously people can relate and I don't know quite how you did what you did. So, um, well, let's kind of get into that. Breck told me quite a bit about you. I'm excited to dig in as well. Um, before we get too crazy into your story, tell us a little bit about you, mm-hmm. who you are, and what k Industries does. Yeah, so
2: Keith Calloway Jr. Um, the junior means that I have a father that's also named Keith Calloway. Uh, no shit. <laughs> yeah. We we affectionately, depending on where you meet us, I know that you know my dad if you call me junior. If you call me junior and you call my dad <laughs> senior, that means you know both of us. If you call yep. me Keith, then you only know me or you only know him. So like
0: I, I was actually really confused when I reached out and I was chatting with you, uh messaging, and I was like, Am I talking to Keith? Keith like who am I talking to? <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. So it now does, you're my father's junior. And before (laughs) like crazy good cell phones came out, apparently we sound alike on the phone. So people would on the phone. They'd be like, which Keith am I talking to? (laughs) So So there was that.
1: Yeah. The majority of people call you junior and senior.
2: Yeah. Most of us, we we go by junior and senior. My wife calls me Keith. She calls my dad, dad, right? Like, so there's some weird, Mm -hmm. like there's only a handful of people that call me Keith in life. And, uh, and actually, one of the most of them come from recovery, like the world, the world's hmm. of getting sober. That's where I got gotcha. you. My, my name is Keith. Um, I'm also Keith in a few other tiny arenas, but most of
1: my life is junior. There we go. So what what is it that you guys do? How, how long you guys been doing this?
2: So my dad started K&L Industries. We're a paving company just south of Portland, Oregon. He started this business in 84 um, it started out as a roofing business and better, better known as anything for a buck. He was like, did I do anything? Because he started having kids at like an alarming rate of which I'm the oldest. Um, so I've got six little brothers and sisters. Um, Holy so shit. in the early eighties, big I'm family. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure in, in the early eighties, did you guys know there was a massive recession and like yeah, eight, rates 18, hit 17, 18%?
1: Dude, it was no interest rates were freaking high.
2: Yeah. Well, my dad was trying to support like six boys in and in a girl along Jeez. with my mom. And we were like his house payment and his grocery bill were the same. <laughs> oh it's my like, God. <laughs> in the 80s, my house payment was 300 a month and my grocery bill was 300 a month. And I was trying to figure out how to pay that on a $3 a, a, an hour minimum wage. Oh shit. So he started this roofing <laughs> Um, doing cedar shake repair because cedar shake was all the rage back then mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. my my mom's family um was all into paving and so they would they would show up in the mm-hmm. summer in oregon and uh he was like dude if they, these guys can do this i can probably figure this out and with a few bucks and a and a pickup he was like i think i'm gonna become a paver and so from that to fast forward 38 years we're uh we're do, we're going to do for those guys who are paving guys we're going to do somewhere around 60,000 tons of asphalt this year with 38 crap. employees um, what's and, that
0: equivalent uh, to jobs keith or junior uh, i mean
2: last year last year on 800 <laughs> on 10 million we did 810 jobs and we're going to hit we're going to hit 17 million this year we're going to let's go almost double and 7 years ago when i got sober, we were 900,000
1: oh my god congratulations yeah so it's been like talk talk about about reinventing seriously
2: fast like if you can't keep up you're gonna get left behind like we gotta go
1: because oh that's when you get your yacht we better get invited
2: yeah well no it's not the yacht i'm gonna own an nfl team
1: I can't Let's play go. football. Put me
2: in pads, baby. Oh, no, I, I don't need to play, to play football either. I just need to have. I just <laughs> like. I want to. I want to be the guy that can be like. You know what? I think I want to watch the game from
1: the sidelines today. There we go. Fair enough. I'll <laughs> I'll be there with you. I'll I'll give you water and stuff. Exactly. exactly. I've been
0: on the sidelines of those games. Those guys are monsters. Yeah, <laughs> monsters.
2: I'd li- I'd like to see what it's like.
0: <laughs> um okay so i i that that's interesting because most people see L today obviously you guys are pushing a ton of paving and asphalt stuff uh i don't think a lot of people knew the cedar shake and siding part of the business
1: yeah or that started out as roofing like that that's a, <laughs> yeah a weird transition but that makes sense
2: yeah it's it's the so my dad figured out like the reason that he went from paving to roof or roofing to paving is he said first off roofing in oregon like certain times of the year, you're not going to be able to do a roof for five, six, seven weeks. No. You can't tear a roof off and re-roof it when it's pouring down rain.
1: Yeah. You
2: you can tent certain sections of it, but it is so hard and time consuming and expensive. Yeah. And remember he had so many kids, they were literally eating him out of the house. He's like, (laughs) I didn't have a choice. Like I couldn't wait a month for a paycheck. So I had to Mm. figure out this and he goes, and my parents, and this is like the highest, Degree of respect I can pay to them, my dad and mom showed up to everything. My dad said, "I got to figure out how to make the most money I can in the shortest amount of time, so that I can be a dad to all these kids."
1: So I love that
2: transitioned into paving because the asphalt plant shut down at two or three, and they're done. Like there's no firing them back up; they're done till tomorrow morning. So he knew he Mm -hmm. could be done by four o'clock. And, and be there for you guys. And be there for, be you know, be dad
1: for the rest of the day. That's freaking commendable. That's awesome.
2: So you guys have, what, 38, 40 employees
0: today. Mom and dad still in the business with you then? Yep. So, or what's that look like?
2: Yeah, so technically my dad is the CEO. I would be the COO. Mm-hmm. And right now my dad is also doubling as the sales manager who's underneath me. So I'm <laughs> underneath my dad, but he's underneath me. So in of the
1: him. office, he chews your ass. Outside of the office, you chew his.
2: Yes. I love that. <laughs> so uh, And then I'm the production manager and my mom is the finance manager. So right now, the three leadership positions, that there should be five people at our leadership table. There's only three, me, mom, and dad.
1: Everyone uh, else is in the field?
2: Not, well, we have sales guys. We have some office mm-hmm. staff. Yeah. Um, but at our leadership table, the yeah. people who make all the decisions, The that's the five people. And we're working on... Uh, Bringing a couple more in to to alleviate my dad's responsibilities and kind of get into the place where you know he's arrived because he's yeah been for a long time on building this with
1: me. Yeah, now he That's sounds like awesome. he's been in it for a minute and definitely blood, sweat, and tears in there. Yeah, I
0: know. I know a lot of uh, business owners going through that transition period, and it off to the the second generation. I'm close to a few business owners that are going through that exact phase.
2: Yeah, most of them, dude. I'm telling you, second generation is um it's difficult so one of my favorite stories and like there's like two families in my family right we have the same parents parents have been married forever Mm -hmm. Uh, but the older four boys there was a couple times in high school where my dad would he came to us and was like look you guys are going to stay out of school today I can't afford to pay the mortgage and pay labor so I'm going to buy you lunch but we're going to go pay the bills today as a family Mm -hmm. so me dad you guys went through it then yeah and so like that's awesome like we were when i say we were broke broke and we came from nothing it was like from the trailer park like we came from camping inside of the trailer park because we didn't know that the lights were off because we couldn't pay the power bill so when people are like hey it must be nice you're second generation i'm like you have no freaking idea what you're talking about
3: Mm.
2: none and to watch that you know continue to grow and be able to pay my parents back and say hey like chill out. We can make this work. Whatever you want um, has been massively rewarding. That's awesome. I love that.
0: The the favorite part that you brought up to Keith, I found this um, to resonate with me is your, your dad showed up to all the games or events or whatever. Um, That that's one thing I had written um, some of my family members, a, a little journal around Christmas of you know, the top things that I appreciated about them. And that was one of the things that I listed for my dad. Cause I knew he worked his ass off and showing up to those things. I was like, I don't know how you did it, but you
2: did it. Yeah. yeah. Like think about today, how hard it is to continue. Like if we have a four o'clock appointment, you have a four mm-hmm. o'clock, anything, how hard it is to make sure you're on time to that. Yeah. It's difficult. And my parents, I could probably count on my one hand, the number of things they missed through my entire sports career. Yeah. And every time my parents had a conversation with me saying, Hey, we have to miss one of these things. And your dad and I were talking and we missed theirs last time. So we're gonna go to theirs. Mm-hmm. But we want you to know that we put mm-hmm. a lot of thought into this and and they would fill me in on the plan, but they'd include me in it. And so I never yeah. felt like they left or they abandoned me. Right. And all my siblings felt the same way. It was that's
1: important mm-hmm. as a kid growing up is knowing that you have people there for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So camaraderie, loyalty those are huge familial um, traits that like people are like, dude, you guys are like really territorial, like Mm -hmm. really, really territorial. Uh, Funny little sidebar. You guys know who Chael Sonnen is? Yeah. UFC fighter. So he was, he was one of our high school wrestling coaches. Okay. And so he takes us to Pocatello, Idaho, to the nationals for like 14 year olds and under. And he's wrestling with us. And he goes, dude, I start wrestling with you. And before I know it, there's five kids on me and they're all (laughs) because you guys are like five little spider monkeys. And he goes, I was like, I just, I just went after one of you and I didn't know what to do. Like, I couldn't shake you all off. He's like, you guys are like primal with how this works. (laughs) Like somebody, you sensed that one of your people were in trouble and you were all there.
1: I'm, I'm curious with that. Are you, are you working alongside you? You said you had what five brothers and a sister. Yeah. Are Are they working in the company as well?
2: No, my dad and a couple of my brothers were investors in a couple of their businesses. Um, mm. like, so if I run down the list, I'm here in Oregon. I co-own this with my dad. Um, the, the next one down, Jason, he was in the military, but now he's in, uh, North Dakota. He owns a construction company. Um, remodeling and framing and mm-hmm. roofing and siding and then Billy owns a paving company in Alaska my third brother and then my fourth brother owns a roofing company here a mile from me that my dad and I are investors in mm-hmm. and then my sister married an electrician who's probably going to own a business of his own soon after he gets his five years in that you have to do
3: yeah. my brother
2: Paul number six he actually works inside the business with us um he he did have a a gutter company and he was like look i just want to be a dad more so i need more time and and i'd like to come back so he just recently came back and then number seven is in indianapolis and we're helping him start a uh he's starting a drive-thru coffee shop like literally my dad leaves tomorrow to go look scout out some spots and some locations
1: where we're gonna put that together with him and I've never seen your father. I've never (laughs) met your father, but I can tell that that man is a stand-up man that would do anything for you guys. Yeah. So
2: like I tell people that if like what I want is a legacy, you ever meet those people where you know how to act when they show up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. My dad, you can have like the most foul mouthed group of people in the world. But when my dad shows up in the room, everybody suddenly stops talking like that. Mm. That's what I want. Like I want to be able to be that guy that walks into a room that's that thermostat that isn't judgy, but everybody knows How to act? Yeah, Thermostat.
0: Awesome. I like that. I yeah. I was I was messaging with your dad, and I I told him I obviously haven't met him yet, but I'm looking forward to that day. Uh, but I messaged him, and I told him I'm I'm glad that I met uh, the Keith Junior of today, and he said me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so was I, a, I,
2: I was a riot before. I'm telling you, I had a great time. I don't know what everybody else's problem was. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about let's talk about the riot, Keith. We we we've had a few people on the podcast that have uh you know battled with addiction one way or another. Um each, you know, they all have their unique stories and how they ended up beating it. Some have just gone cold turkey, others have just, you know, got up from rock bottom enough times where they could, couldn't take it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you have a pretty amazing transformation from what I know and probably a lot of people don't know. But several <laughs> years ago. You found yourself addicted to drugs. You wasted millions of dollars and you burnt everything to the ground. I want you to walk us through memory lane and how it all started.
2: So first off, um, I dude, I was I have this alcoholic mind. Like nothing is ever enough. Like I just finished running a hundred miles and I'm like, probably more. <laughs> Right. Like this is the way my mind works. And that's how it's always worked. You know, there's those kids who are bright in school or they're good at sports and and they just throw it all away. Well, I was bright and I never really had to apply myself. And, and so I just figured out how to, quote unquote, hack the system like social media would say it's a hack today. Yeah. Well, it's just quick smart. Like I was street smart. I figured out how to hustle early um, because when you come from the trailer park and you're broke, like you don't have nice clothes. You got to trade for them my mom was always like, how did you get that? Like, how did you get those shoes? And I'm like, well, I was doing people's homework for $5 a paper, or Mm -hmm. I was trading this. And like, so alcoholic thinking is always been in my blood and overachieving was, um, was just part of who I needed to be. I needed external rewards for internal value. Mm -hmm. So like I, I needed somebody to applaud me showing up to work on time when like that's what normal people do every day. Yeah. Not, it shouldn't be something that that is uh that is applauded or rewarded. It's just something that's really respectful. Um so I married my first girlfriend. She gave she was actually the first girl that gave me any attention. Um some people that works for uh I would 10 out of 10 not recommend. Um uh, <laughs> it didn't work for me. And I just thought like what was going on in our life was like, we, she was going through a rough spot. I was going through this like weird, let's grow up. Um, and then she, you know, she was like, I don't love you anymore. And there's some other circumstances, but that's not, it's not really the platform to talk about those, but we ended up getting a divorce, right? Like she was like, Hey, listen, I don't love you. I don't really like you.
1: Um, I'm not going to be with you. At what age? 29.
2: 20.
1: And so, you're saying that that's when things took a turn.
2: Yeah, that's when things took a turn. Well, and this is the crazy part. I'm 29 years old and I'd never been to a bar. I'd never been to, like, now I can tell you, like, I've never been to an adult entertainment establishment. I've never been anywhere in life that offered um, what I would consider um, the quick, short, and fast way to the bottoms or the debauchery mm. that the world can offer. Yeah. And mm. so I start hanging out in the bar. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, like, I loved it. I was like, listen, like, we can lie about stories. We can make up how cool our lives are. Like, I can tell you, like, I would want to let the truth get in the way of a really good story. And I can tell a story with the best of them. And so the bar scene, like, dude, I was great at it. And if you hang out with people like me, eventually you find your, if you get drunk enough, eventually you find yourself driving, you drive, find yourself, you find yourself driving after 2.30 AM, you find yourself going to places where they sell, extracurricular products and so july 3rd of 2013 i'm going through like ending my divorce like signing papers for this divorce and i switched seats in a truck and the kind of people i was running around with apparently and i didn't know this because i'd never been around the world like he was doing drugs so we switched seats in a truck and it was a pure leaf unsweetened iced tea it was the green label like every time i see it in the convenience store i'm like oh just, mm. just, gives me the chills. So we switch seats, but we don't switch drinks. And he'd put meth in his iced tea, and I drank meth in the iced tea, and I had what I call my first spiritual experience.
1: Oh, you—that was the first time you'd ever. First time.
2: I'd never smoked weed. I'd never done cocaine. I'd never, like, I'd gotten drunk. Oh cocaine. Lord. I'd never done anything in life, and I've always walked around with this like sinking anxiety that something bad is always about to happen and my f- spiritual experience when i put that stuff that drug in my body my ears and my chin left my chest i breathed breathe in and out and i went ah and what i felt was the world is lucky i'm here i went from being scared and just lonely and anxiety ridden to dude i am literally the
1: gift to earth <laughs>
2: everybody here likes
1: so and what what did that do that led you into obviously you're I, still hanging around with these people
2: yeah well i didn't know it was i didn't i was like what is this and the guy was like oh it's just a little go fast well yeah. i was like well I wanna, if that was going fast, real fast what, right now <laughs> what's faster <laughs> oh So for 820 days from that day forward, I never missed a day, whether I was in jail or out of jail. I did math for 820 straight days. Oh my God. I went from a guy who had a house. I lived five or six doors down from the cops. Like I was in the community on like, Hey, if we need some money, like we could talk to this business owner, he'll donate some money or some, you know, some this and that. And I went literally in a year. um, So that was July my first arrest was January of so like 14 months later. I lost 70 pounds, uh, was just skin and bones. Like I'm I'm 5'11. I jokingly tell my wife I'm six foot, but I'm 5'11 and 245. And when I went to rehab 22 two and years and three months later, I was 5'11 and 150 pounds. Oh my gosh. A size 28, 29 waist. Um, I didn't eat like Like the, the world, the world slipped by me. I went from like, I got a divorce, started doing drugs. Uh, I was telling breakfast before, like I filed bankruptcy on millions of dollars, like in this same time period, because it was post 2009 downfall. Um, Like who gives a 25 year old millions of dollars? What kind of kind of ignorant bank does this? That bank folded because they didn't do things
1: wise. Like the majority of them.
2: Yeah, exactly. But like, so I'm going through a divorce. I find drugs. I get a. I'm going through bankruptcy. Um, I get addicted to drugs. I cash in my retirements. I I sell everything I've ever had. Um, I get I get in wrecks, uninsured, in my in new pickups. Oh
3: like, dude, I just des-
2: I destroy my life to the point where I get arrested six times in seven months. Get eleven driving wall suspendeds. And this is the best part. So if you don't show up for the driving while suspended, the $400 ticket goes to $5,400. So like all of this happens in a really short period of time. And I'd like to tell you that I was like, oh my gosh, I should probably change my life's trajectory. But what it was is I talked to my attorney who I happened to go to high school with. And he was like, Keith, if you don't like get some help, dude, you're gonna end in prison. Um, And I was like, well, that doesn't sound fun. And he goes, yeah, I mean, you could go to rehab. And I was like, are there girls there? (laughs) Literally no joke. That was the, that was the motivating thing. So I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to choose that. Let's find a rehab to go to. You went to
1: fucking rehab because you thought there was females there?
2: Yes. (laughs) Oh my Lord. So, and this is the best part. So this is like God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. God knew that if I went to a a rehab with females, like I wasn't going to stay so i'm a day late to rehab in palm springs they fill the bed and i have to be shipped from palm springs to santa monica to go to an all-male facility yeah no joke like god god knew exactly what this kid needed because he was like listen you're kind of like slow and i need to take all of the distractions away from you and that was the beginning of this what the the version of me that you're that you guys are meeting now is like I was I was broken. I was willing to listen to the opportunity that of somebody else and their life, like they could tell me in their their words and their story how they felt and how their life sucked. And then like how it got better. And if somebody told me early on in sobriety that I was the most important person in the room and I wanted to go back to that room every night Mm -hmm. because I was like, nobody has ever told me that. Nobody (laughs) could fill me up like that.
1: I'm just curious now that you are sober and everything, do you still feel that way that you need that constant like appreciation from people?
2: No, no. I've I, so I love the, the term that Ed Milette uses like self esteem is when you keep promises to yourself. I love I didn't, that one. I didn't realize that by like rationalizing my actions, what I was doing is I was creating circumstances that broke my esteem and mm-hmm. I didn't have a self esteem. So I was going and overcompensating and trying to overshoot the mark. And because I failed so often, I felt like a failure. And then I made failure-like decisions. Mm -hmm. So as I was reinventing myself, somebody said, well, why don't you, like my sponsor, my AA sponsor, the first spiritual thing I did was, he was like, listen, I I need you to commit to not breaking the law. That's the first, that's the first rung of spirituality for broken individuals like you. So it was that. And then it was, Hey, I want you to go offer compliments and I want you to go stand at Safeway for an hour after this. And I want you to push people's carts back to the cart bin. I'm like, why? And he goes, don't ask why just go do it. And I would, I went and did it. And he's standing over there and he's sitting over there in his truck, watching me laugh. You know, I felt like he was laughing at me, making fun of me, but what he was teaching me is that if you do kind things for other people, you get value out of it. Yeah. Like you get self-esteem by being kind and doing gestures for other people with zero hook like there's no comeback to me there's no call yeah. to action there's nothing it's because you're a decent human being
1: absolutely no it makes you feel good yourself I I find myself doing that I have, I have a lot of problems with like depression and anxiety and stuff and giving back and helping other people makes me feel 10 times mm-hmm. happier than most things in life so yeah I, like, I can relate to that a lot
2: those days where I find myself because I have a pity party on a regular basis mm-hmm. um, what I do now is i know i have some tactical skills that i understand that when i'm in that it's because i feel alone and i need to get out of me yeah. so i call somebody else and ask them how their day is. and i ask them what they've done for somebody else and what what it does is it creates this pay it forward cycle yeah they're like you know what i haven't done anything for anybody else today and it could be something simple like go dude go through a drive through and buy somebody something behind you yeah you know, start this flow of positivity in your life that changes where you're headed.
1: Because absolutely,
2: the thing that I learned in early recovery that I loved, my sponsor told me, he goes, "You can have any life you want. You just have to be willing to put in the work, mm-hmm. but your actions have to have to match your destination." Yeah. So if you want, and he used spam and filet mignon, because I'm a fat kid at heart, he's like, "If you want spam sobriety, just do the just do the least, and you'll get like." The least amount of recovery. You'll get like this, ha- this high in the accomplishments of life. But if you want real like influence and accomplishment, you have to take all of the res- excuses and pull them off the table. And you got to take that ability for you to rationalize halfway and throw it out the window. Because if you do halfway, you're always going to regret the end result. And the massive change in our business and in my personal life has come because I was like, I'm no longer gonna rationalize the halfway things.
1: Yeah, like that's that's all all the time. Absolutely, I like that,
0: Keith. I'm curious to ask. A a lot of people that will go to rehab um, will relapse and kind of fall back down. Was it just a slap in the face for you, where everything kind of started on this upwards trajectory, or were there a lot of hurdles that you had to battle through?
2: Dude, hurdles were are a gross understatement for the things that happened. I figured. Um, so when I went to rehab, so a couple of things happened there. Um, first off, I never thought I had a problem with drugs, like, to be honest, like most people, when you're doing drugs, um, don't think they do. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate thing, but you can't see it until you're sober that you're like, oh, I did that. Oh, that's kind of messed mm-hmm. up, right? Like there's no perspective when you're high. The only perspective is selfishness.
1: And the the best part is, is most of the time they don't, they don't think that other people can see that they're on something. Especially like the full-blown tweakers. Like, dude, yeah. you're doing the noodle in the parking lot. Everybody knows it.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, and like you put a tweaker with money because I was stealing massive amounts of dollars from my parents. Dude, I was at the mm. casino with like 10 machines feeding $100. Oh, oh my God. Like with my Bluetooth speaker up on top of the machine just dancing through the oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if uh, I got stories through... Crazy stories, but like I stole literally millions of dollars from my parents for this. But back to your question, like what what were the obstacles? I mean, there was a bunch of physical obstacles. Um, I watched what people came in looking like. I watched what they did. Um, I I listened to how they talked. Uh, a couple of guys talked about their experiences with their parents. My parents have always loved me. They've always been epic individuals like they have a moral and ethical character that is like literally second to none it's so it's so high sometimes that i feel like i'm compromising things because i'm like look we're not lying to somebody they gave us this like we you know we have to rationalize these things they're they're just one of the the, the, just that thermostat type of people so i watched this and my dad flew down on a one-way ticket to visit me in rehab and I didn't want to see him like I did a lot of drugs over my dad and the particular thing that burnt me is when we signed those bankruptcy papers because he had to file bankruptcy because we're in business together. He said my legacy has gone and what I heard him say what I internalized was you took my legacy from me.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: So I did a lot of drugs over trying to you you
1: held that on you.
2: Yeah, I, 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 because I felt like God, right? Like I had this God complex where I was the influence that changed the trajectory of everything in life for everyone around me, right? I was not right sized at by any means. The
1: mm-hmm. butterfly effect of Keith.
2: Yeah, so I do that. My dad flies down on a one way ticket, and the guys that I'm, you know, friends with that I smoke my three packs of cigarettes a day in the smoking room with, um, were like, dude, I just want to be loved like your dad loves you. And it started what I don't think I changed at that moment, but I became willing to look at what they saw because I respected those drug addicts opinion of my dad Yeah, because those dudes helped me. And I was like, well, what are they talking about? And so it was just this willingness to look at the way that I was viewing things that started in rehab. And it took me coming home and my dad driving me, my mom and dad drove me around for like 18 months. I didn't have a license. I didn't, I didn't deserve one. Um, my mom would take me to treatment a couple of days a week. Cause I'd have to go to outpatient for court. I'd have to go take UAs for court and for treatment. Like there was a couple days a week where I'm three hours late to work. And my mom would take me to work and then I ride home with my dad. And we started to repair that relationship. And I started asking him questions like, why do you, why do you believe in God? Why do you have these things that you do? Why are you, why would you not go through the the steps of like being friends or going, like my dad's never stepped into a bar without my mom. Never one time stepped into a bar without my mom. And for him, it's because he respects my mom so much that he wants to like honor her. Mm. And I thought he was a chump for years. I was like, dude, my dad's like the weakest. My mom owns him. But my mom never made that rule. My dad made that rule because he loves my mom.
1: Out of respect.
2: Out of respect. And so like I'm learning in this process of like, that my dad is like probably one of the best individuals I've ever met. So slowly I'm getting all the consequences from court because I have to do that. And then I'm overcoming all these things, but each one of them has massive influence with it. And the one that really ignited the, the, like the change in me was, um, I in a, in a, you know, high stupor decided that me and this guy that we're arguing, I was going to go pop this guy's tires because that's what tough guys do. So, um, I'm not sure of the audience, the kind of people that you, that you guys have out there, but the kind of people I was running around with, we all had cars, but none of them belonged to us. If you know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah they were borrowed warm yeah they were they were warm maybe they were borrowed maybe they didn't yet know they were borrowed um whatever the case may be but this guy's tires i popped them because he called me a punk right you don't do that you don't call people punks well dude i was a punk that was a lot of words that you're not supposed to say and so i get sober and my sponsor's like hey let's let's start making some amends for this and i go show up to this people's house for this guy that he's also doing drugs he's been doing drugs for 20 years and i show up and i'm like listen i don't ever want to have to do that again help me i got, i need to know what i need to pay you back blah 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 and i start telling her the story and she holds up her hand and says hold it right there i know exactly what you can do here's the receipt because normal people have receipts i didn't know that so she pulls up the receipt And I instantly, when she reads me the number, feel like I'm not enough again, because I've been saving a hundred dollars a week for this amend. And I only have, I'm like a hundred bucks short. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, dude, I'm never going to be enough. Never, ever am I ever going to be enough. And she looks at me and she says, but that the money you have is plenty. Like, it's not about the money. Let me tell you about the thing we're most thankful for. See, for the last six months, you've been driving around and That kid Dakota that you've been picking up, because I had a truck and insurance, and this other kid had a license and no truck. So this kid in the community, I'd let take my truck, he'd come pick me up. We'd go pick this kid Dakota up and we'd go to meetings. And like that was my little posse. We'd hang out. So she says, I want to thank you because Dakota's my grandson. And for the first time in 20 years, he's sober for Christmas. And I want to tell you that I'm really proud of what you're doing and that you're making a difference in the impact in the impact in this community. Is something that you, uh, you have never, you won't have any idea what it is, but I want to tell you, thank you, because I got Christmas with somebody I'd never had it with before.
3: Wow. And that was
2: like, dude, you want to talk about lighting a guy on fire for change? I walked into that situation feeling like the biggest piece of trash in the world and walked out feeling like a whole human being for the first time in my life.
1: That's awesome.
2: Right. So you made, a, you made a
1: huge difference.
2: Huge difference. That kid, unfortunately, that kid's relapsed and he's gone. Like he passed away on an overdose. But that's like those, re, those, those like reminders that life is so short and so fragile that that could happen to me has kept me sober. Oh, it's good. kept me from going back out. And I don't ever want to have to go back into another person to say that again. So those are the things that changed. And there's like, dude, there's like 50 of those stories, but that's the one that really changed who I was into like, yeah, I'm going to change my life. And you know what? Not only do I want to change my life, I want to give other opportunities to people to change their lives because because I want people to know that when they're feeling dark, depressed, homeless, or high, that that your ceiling in your life doesn't have to be what you think it is. Like the only ceiling in your life is the one you put on your head. Absolutely. Circumstances do keep you in places for a while, but if you're determined enough, you can change anything.
1: I think that's something a lot of people feel trapped with is that they, they feel like they're capable of going nowhere.
2: Yeah. Get around people who tell you you can't like, I love, I love the idea. um, One of the, one of the guys that I spend a lot of time around now is one of my best friends. um, He ignored my first DM and then also my second DM. And I give him crap about that all the time. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, if you want a seat at the table, pull up a chair, like just do it. You know, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to lose something you don't have anyway.
1: Yeah, it doesn't exist yet.
2: Pull up a chair. People are more scared of you than you are of them. So after that
0: moment, Keith, this probably sparked a lot of the rebuilding phase. Is that correct? Yeah. So you started discovering more and more about what made your dad unique, taking all of those learning lessons and probably uh, just your understanding of the world. Uh, started shaping your actions and how you perceive things. Um, And I imagine that that happened over the next several years. You started working in the family business. Is that kind of, am I following at least that was the rebuilding phase for you?
2: Yeah. So like when you tie the personal development from like getting sober and rebuilding who I was as an individual with, if you put the timeline of that with the timeline of the business, there's this like direct correlation up with both of them. Because as I start to figure out like, hey, if you're honest and you you treat people good and then you reward those people for doing good actions, they want to repeat said actions over and over again. So we start figuring out that we as a collective group in our business can use the same principles that I learned to change who I was to who I am in our business. Oh,
1: so, wow. So you took more than just that Okay, that kind of just threw me for a loop. So you took something that you learned in recovery and used it in business.
2: Yeah, so like some of the questions I ask or like somebody's like, hey, I'm mad at you. I'm like, what's your part in that? They're like, what do you mean? You were, and I'm like, no, 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 there's no you statements in this. It's I, the only thing you get to say, like we have a rule around here. There's two things we don't say. We don't call people names and we don't, and we don't, uh, we don't touch people. If you take the, I'm upset with you, Statements like you're a piece of fill in the blank or, and you turn it into, I feel disrespected when you fill in the blank. You can say that statement. So we're teaching people how to be whole people in our organization because what we figured out is that the people of recovery and the people that we employ in the in the trades, dude, none of them have dads. like a high a high percentage of them, like eighty plus percent do not have fathers. And if they do, their father is somebody that they don't like.
1: I have to ask you, do you genuinely feel like if your father wasn't who he is and what he was for you, that you wouldn't have gotten sober?
2: There's a, there's a strong, strong possibility of that. Yeah. Well, what
0: would your advice
2: be for people that didn't have that figure? You, your dad doesn't have to be the one that sired you. Like he doesn't have to be the sperm donor in your life. Find somebody that, you know, and it, find somebody older that that's that you respect the, the term that I use is find somebody you trade lives with and then take their advice. Mm. That's like a good one. if you don't have a dad, find somebody in your life and go, go start spending time at an old folks home, go start donating time somewhere, volunteering. One of these people will light up a room when, when they walk into it and ask them to be your mentor. Like and ask formally. Say, "Hey, I'd like to spend some time with you because I want to know what makes you special. Because when mm-hmm. you walk into a room, you change the dynamic of that room. And I'm interested in becoming a person like that.
1: Right? So even if it's not that was good. Family guidance, fine guidance, somehow.
2: Yeah, because family guidance is broken. Yeah. Like you know, we for the the '60s, the generation of the '60s and '70s, the hippies, the gen, you know, the um, the boomers they were, they were literally taught if it doesn't feel good, leave, go try something different. Well, they did that with their marriages. And then we've got a whole bunch of empty nesters that like do what, would they call us? The, the lock, the
1: lock key kids. Yeah. I like mom was working so much. You just had to have a, you seven years old and key to the house.
2: Yeah. So like we have these coping mechanisms that are like, dude, if I don't like you, I'm just going to go find a different place to hang out because I can change the
1: circumstance.
2: And what yeah. we don't know is wherever we, were, wherever we go, there we will be. So we never learned how to deal with anything. We learned how to be go- goers and movers.
1: Run from things.
2: Yeah, we're great runners. <laughs> Dude, 100 miles, baby. Yeah, I'm the best runner. 100 there. miles. Like so a problem shows up and my instant instinct is to take off. Mm. And my parents didn't give me that example, but I can't imagine what it would be like if that was the value system that I was raised with.
0: So you'd mentioned that. How, how have you been able to overcome it? Because that's kind of like in the same wheelhouse of what I wanted to touch on is imposter syndrome, which we have talked a little bit on our on our personal phone calls. But yeah. tell me a little bit more about how you've been able to overcome that imposter syndrome, the external validation, and just the overall, I guess, perception of problems and
2: not running from them. So somebody told me a long time ago that um, that your life can be what you make it. <laughs> And I, and, and I was just ignorant enough to believe them. And then I started taking action on it. So somebody gave me a thought. So if, like I ran, I said, posted this on social media a while ago. So you have an idea and then that develops kind of into a thought pattern. The thought turns into action. The action mm-hmm. turns into um, habits. Habits develop character and character turns into destiny, right? like So it starts out with the decision the decision is I'm no longer taking shortcuts. Like I decided in my life that I was going to take the road less traveled because the one that's the shortcut, dude, I've done it all. And I'm not, I don't want to be part of that shortcut life anymore. The shortcut life, while it's fast and it's fun, it leaves you lonely. And there's no real relationship there. Like you you might occasionally find someone that you connect with, but the reality is I was always looking for the easier, softer, quicker way. And to become the not-poster, the the not-imposter, what I decided to do, um, I call it the B rabbit. So everybody knows the movie 8 Mile, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So when he stands up and says, my mom is this, I am from the trailer park, I got spaghetti throw up on my shirt. Like Mm -hmm. he starts saying all the things he is. What he did in that moment is what I did in my life. I realized that as long as I went out and I told people who I was, no longer could it be power against me. Now it was my superpower to tell people what I used to be and say, when somebody does show up and they're like, dude, you were a gigantic piece of crap. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry about that.
1: It's vulnerability. You break down that wall. You don't give them that power of being able to tell you what you are because <laughs> you're already telling them what you are. Yeah.
2: And it, and the crazy part is where it came from. There was a landlord that we were running a shop from. And this is, dude, i, I chopped cars up. I sold drugs out of this place. I did, I mean, everything you could do. I mean, there's things buried that you shouldn't be, shouldn't be buried, all this stuff. And FBI. Yeah. And like, you know, target practiced outside, you know, right outside the city, all the, all the things that you're not supposed to do. And this guy was like, I'm going to tell everybody what you did. And I said, joke's on you, pal. Anybody who knows me already does. Like, I don't, I don't care if you tell anybody. And I clicked. I was like, dude, that guy has no power over me.
1: Yeah, they don't have and leverage so, anymore.
2: Yeah, no no leverage. So literally, I talk about all the nasty things that I did, all the deepest, darkest secrets. Um, because what I figured out is if I tell them, they can actually be tools for change. Because when I was in the depths of my like addiction, I just wanted to tell me, somebody to tell me that I was worthy, and that I was worthwhile, and that there was a way out. Like that's what I wanted. Like if the neighbors that started the Facebook chat about my house being the drug house, if one of them walked over with food and said, hey, I want I want you to know that I love you and I care about you because you're someone's son. I probably would have broke down and just sobbed.
1: I think that's how most of them are. They have like a, a rough exterior, but deep down they just yeah. need help in some way. And yeah. with, with that, I'm kind of curious now that you're sober, if you could give advice to someone out there battling addiction, what would it be?
2: So I think- I think a lot of people when you're battling addiction think of things too permanent. They're like, dude, there's no way, there's no way if I'm shooting heroin today that I can be done tomorrow. You're probably right. Like give yourself a little bit of a break, but also surround yourself with people who are willing to walk the, walk the journey with you. Like I've got um, my running group. There's nine of us in that running group. Eight of us are sober members of AA. And the other guy is my brother who is not an alcoholic, but he's weird. Like he's he's just all of his friends happen
1: to be sober alcoholics, but like surround yourself by people that can help you.
2: Yeah. You, well, it's that, that old saying, you're the sum of the five closest people to you.
1: Right. Like if you want to with four millionaires, you'll be the fifth. Yeah, exactly.
2: Like if you hang out with four drug addicts, dude, you're going to be a drug addict.
0: You talk a lot about the thermostats exactly what you were alluding to.
2: Yeah. When I want to walk into a room and I want to change the, I want to be the barometer that changes everything in that room. Dude, I was the guy that would suck the life out of a room. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I would walk in and be like, I would just take any amount of joy and serenity and peace and I would throw it right out the window because I knew that if I created emotion, that I would get you to do, I could manipulate you
1: into doing what I wanted Mm -hmm. to do. Before we get into the whole next topic, um, I feel the need to to share things like this but addiction hotline um phone number 1-800-662-4357 Dude it's great man
0: Keith I I want to talk a, a a little bit about this but uh it makes sense given your journey um you you'd mentioned a little bit before our podcast that you're both big on being a a second chance employer given your own personal story but you're also a big believer that your past doesn't dictate uh your future and folks need uh, a supportive place to rebuild. Talk to me a little bit more about what being a second chance employer looks like for you guys at Kano. Well,
2: the first thing I'll tell people is that if you hang out with snakes, eventually you get bit. Right, so it's not clean. It's not fun. Um, as a matter of fact, over over here, there's some UAs that like I'll hand somebody a UA and say, "I'll do one if you'll do one." And so, like, it is, it is, it's touchy. And it's messy, but dude, when somebody changes their life and you get to watch them get their kids back and you get to watch them buy a house and you get to watch them go from a 500 credit score to, Hey dude, I just financed my first vehicle at 2% with no money down. And we, we've taught them like we've just been the educational piece and they've taken all the things that we've offered them and transformed their lives. There's nothing that compares to watching a part human become a whole human.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're giving them that helping hand that they needed that most, most people in society don't even think about giving them.
2: Yeah. And they, they'll like the thing that comes out most often, like there was a guy who got off probation for something he did when he was 19. He was 50 something when he got off probation. Holy shit. And he said, dude, I'm so thankful that I work here because you guys helped me get off probation. I said, no, I just told you it was possible
1: you did it yeah
2: you did all the work i just told you you could
1: so with being a second chance employer um i I really like what your website says as well it says that your company is transforming lives one shovel at a time i think that that's awesome um how exactly are you sourcing these people are you like i know i know you've mentioned you've gone to jails and talked as well are you getting them like via parole or how does that how does that process work
2: so the usually what happens is it's a friend of a friend like there's a lot of, there's a lot of word of mouth referrals we get. Um, I do go and I do take meetings into the jail. So, and people are like, where do you live? What do you do? And I'm like, dude, I've, this is where I work. If you guys, if you guys want a job, come find me when you're out. Like, here's the website. Here's the address. Here's where we are. Um, I don't mind telling people any of that stuff, but where we find most of them, uh, where I find a lot of them, honestly, is people just run into us. Like they're like, hey, mm. they'll walk up on the street. Hey, I'm looking for a job. I'm like, well, how hard of how hard are you willing to work? And we're like, well, dude, I can I can shovel with the best of them. I'm like, I know everybody says that. But then we start talking about it. And a lot of times it's um we've we've had a lot of landscapers come over because landscapers like landscaping seems to be a job that when people get out of prison, there's always landscapers looking to hire and yeah. kind of like that first place that somebody can jump to. And then as they build their life, they get a little bit of money or they get their license back or they're like, okay, I need a higher ceiling opportunity and we'll train you. What I need is I need three things. I need honesty, open-mindedness and willingness, right? I need those three things. If you can be honest with me, I can be honest with you. Then we can have an opportunity, right? To be honest. And so open-mindedness is like, I need you to be willing to do things and that are different than the way you used to do things because your best thinking got you in a place where you thought that putting household cleaners in a, in a needle was a good idea, right? Um, and then the willingness is like, I need you to be willing to start from the bottom. If you have those three things, I can help you build a life that you never saw possible. Um, and so they come from all over the place. I've met them at church, I've met them in meetings, I've met them on the street. Um, we've had people that watch our social media and they're like, dude, I wanna be like the guy that works for you that bought his first house. And I hear you guys teach people how to clean up their credit. And I hear that you, your dad will mentor me and teach me how to get my kids back. And like, these are the things that we do. We figured out that if we taught these people how to become whole individuals and not do it, it, it's not at work. Like what we figured out is that if we taught them how to do the things at home, that they showed up more better, more ready and reliable
1: for work. Yeah. No, everything reflects from home. If you yes. have a shitty home life, you're going to have a shitty work life. If You have to have a solid foundation to build off of. I, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. Um, I, we have a few questions touching on this, but I'm curious, like you, you're you saying that you go to these jails, you're doing these these talks, whether it be just meetings there, whatever it may be, Um, about having a second chance. What do you see the most when going in there? Um, Do these people want a second chance at life? Or are they just saying it because they're locked up? Like, Tell me a bit more about that.
2: Yeah. So my favorite thing to do is go to the jail. Are uh, you going
1: to County? Like County. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. There's, there's one like 10 minutes from my house. And it's the one that I happen to um, frequent the most as a residence. Um, I tell people that I was a guest there. I was wearing those same, those same blues uh, quite a few times. And
1: the I was number 17 me, down the hall. Yeah.
2: I was in, <laughs> I was in the block, cell block G uh, you know, anyway. Um, and my favorite thing is to tell them that, like, you and I were the same. Yeah. The only mm-hmm. difference is that, uh, is that I decided I was going to change. And then the only thing I've done right 100% for the last 2000 days is not pick up a drink or a drug. Like, I've been fully present for seven plus years every day.
1: Yeah. You know, Those powders, motions, me, lotions,
2: yeah. or potions have changed the way my body feels or my yeah. decision making. And oh. so we, we talk about them and I'm like, and then I ask them, like, is this something you want? Cause all I need is for you to say that you want to change. Yeah. And then we can have a conversation. If you don't want it, I'm not going to want it for you. And I'll be the first one to go buy you a bag. Like, if you want to go back out, here's 20 bucks, bro. I'll drop you off at the house. Because I'm not going to want it for you because I learned that in early recovery. And that was something that's a really bad, valuable lesson. I can't teach somebody who's not willing to change.
1: Hmm. I've I've been around a lot of people that have struggled with things before, and like like you're saying, they have to want it themselves. A lot of people will, a lot of addicts will tell you exactly what you want to hear.
2: Oh, we're slick. As talking. soon as
1: that fucking door closes, it's you know, back to back to square one. Yeah. Oh, so, I I like that you're you're kind of blunt about it because that that's the reality of it.
2: Yeah. My wife says I'm mean. She goes like to the to the dudes that are <clears throat> that are coming out of recovery. You're like you're straight up mean i said no they're real the i'm honest
3: yeah mm-hmm. somebody
2: was honest with me and told me that that i could lie to anybody else but i couldn't lie to them because you can't lie to a liar finding yeah. comfort in lies is the worst thing dude that that statement changed my life because mm-hmm. when i when i was trying to figure out how to change my life i was lying on a regular on a regular basis and it was fascinating to me that these guys in recovery were like, so after the story, tell me the truth. I'm like, what do you mean? How did you know? We're like, bro, we're all liars. This is what we do. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't want to let the truth get in the way of a good story. So we mm-hmm. tell what we think you guys want to hear as opposed to saying, hey, listen, like I did that. I was that terrible individual who stole from my grandma, even though I knew that that was her, her light bill that was sitting on the counter. Or whatever yeah. it was. Um, so yeah, I asked them and I'm really blunt. And I'm the first one to tell you that I'm willing, I'll be the the first one there and your biggest cheerleader. But the moment you walk off the rails, dude, don't call me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why is that? And I said, Because I have boundaries. I want to be the sum of the five closest people around me. And if you get too close and that's who you are, I don't want you around me. Yeah. And that's not to say that it's forever, but like we need a separation so that you can see. That there was a vacuum created in your life when people like me leave. Mm-hmm. Like people who are living with principles, people who have values, because values don't mean dollars. Like that's what I live my whole life based on. And when I figured out that if I added value to others, dollars come naturally. Mm-hmm. we like a byproduct. Happiness is a byproduct of right decisions. If you add value to people's lives, you have impeccable value and you have immense value in the business world so that's Preach. what that's what, we've done with, that's, that's what we've done as a second chance employer and like the thing that um, you know that we've we i saw in my dad when we were talking about this piece i said dad these guys need a dad so what he does he meets with them it's not a regularly scheduled it's different for each guy um, but at least once a quarter sometimes once a month depending on what their goals are. So he runs them through goal setting. And the only rule of this goal setting thing is it cannot be, it cannot be around work.
1: So I need something in your
2: personal life that we're gonna work through together, my dad and these guys, that we're going to accomplish in the next year or 30, 60, 90, 120 days. And as soon as we're done with that one, we're gonna create another. And he runs through like, is it realistic? Is it measurable? Is it mm-hmm. uh, reachable? Is it tangible? Can we actually get here? And he'll run through these things. And it could be, Hey, I need a CPR class so I can have my kids without having, like I can get visitation with my kids without having a supervision. So he's like, all right, well, let's get you in a CPR class. What day of the week? Let's, let's go through this or budgeting. He did. He just did a, um, he just did a finance class with people. And he said, listen, if you get your wife to come, I'll pay for babysitting and you'll get a dollar an hour race. That's incredible. He's like, but, but
1: you're, you to- you're, you're building them outside of work, which in turn provides you with a better yep. worker. Yeah. We're playing chess and you guys are playing 40 chess.
2: Yeah. We're like, and the reason, and this is what I, like, I taught something. I told people how we do this at national Payment expo last year. <laughs> I was talking to a class and I said, I dare any one of you to go talk to the guys that work for me and see if they'll switch companies. None mm. of them will. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm going to tell you exactly what I pay them, how I pay them, how we do this. And the reality is that what we figured out is if we care for them and we give them a better, I honestly believe that they will have a better life here than they were anywhere else. And when I preach that to them, I mean it. And when they show up or they've got a problem at 10 o'clock at night, somebody's going to be able to walk them through how to solve it. And half of these dudes call my parents, mom and dad.
0: Oh, Dude, the, the amazing thing is that when they do make it into K&L, the first thing you guys start with is from what it sounds like, it's not necessarily putting a shovel in their hand and say, get to work. It's let's establish your purpose. And then yeah. from there, everything is a ripple effect, which yeah, is where, where amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We start out with values. So my interview process is around our five core values. I was
0: going to ask you about those, because I was going to say, what are these certain guidelines that you guys uh, so, have or set in place? You, you mentioned yeah. boundaries. Yeah. Well, so wh- hire, what are some of those?
2: Fire, reward, and then discipline around the five core values. That's, that's everything we do passes through the filter of those five things, which is values, relationship, purposeful, truthful, and transparent, values, relationship, and I forgot the other one but they're, they're can do positive attitude. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm, I'm curious the... with that. Cause I know that you are hiring people that are getting a second chance here. Is there any like lines that are crossed that like, we, we can't take you? Like, are you hiring? Like, I don't, I'm not sure how to word this. Are you looking into how and what these people have done? Like only nonviolent offenders, You're yeah. gotten, like drug addiction mainly, or. We've
2: had, we've had guys that have been in prison mm-hmm. for. Attempted murder, um, drugs, like I mean everything. Like mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, there's the label that goes on people, but those people have to live without guilt and shame for the rest of their life. Yeah, it's really none of our business to tell other people what it is, mm-hmm. right? So the the way that I tell people that, like, because we have guys who come from prison, and they're like, "Dude, I don't want to hang around with those guys. Those those people aren't people. Like they deserve to be." And I was like they deserve to be what because you didn't get caught and they're like what and i said yeah like if you got what you deserve bro you'd be in a concrete box forever like i know the piece of crap that you are or that you were because Mm -hmm. you and i were the same right like what we have to teach these individuals is that it doesn't matter what you did and now this does matter a little bit because we do work on airports we do work for boeing we do work Mm -hmm.
1: In That's school. why I was curious is like, you're working close to homes as well. I'm yeah. sure with residential. Yeah. So we is there often, ev- is there ever a time that you think about that? Like a, like yeah. a, a worry?
2: Yes. And we have, and I have um, that bluntness that you've experienced in some of our conversation now, yeah. like in the interview process. I'm like, Hey, so one of my best friends is a, is a private investigator and I'm going to find out whatever's on your record. And the reason that I need to know, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell me right now, but I need to know what's on there because when we go work at some of these places, it's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to turn all of your paperwork in to go get approved, to go on to Boeing field or go into the airport and it's going to come out either way. So mm-hmm. like, let's start this off. You can be honest with me. I'm not going to tell anybody else because it's none of anybody else's business, but then we're going to, then we're going to back up and then we're going to say, what did we learn from it? And that's where I find out if they're ready to be in a place where change is a part of the culture. Like, tell me what you learned from getting that DUI or robbing that store or whatever it is.
1: I have I have a question that's surrounding like recovery and obviously like getting out of prison, jail, whatever it is. Do you think that I because I, I have a belief system? I, I have people in my family that are are locked away for good. Um, do you think everybody is capable of change, or do you think only some people are? I I think a lot of it's willpower and wanting to do it yourself. Therefore, I only think some people do. I think that your value system and beliefs dictate the opportunity
2: for change. So if you're you're in a circumstance that they say you are who you are, and that's all you've ever been taught, then you are going to be that. But if you are around people that say, listen, I see more in you than you ever give yourself credit for and I see your ceiling being way up here, then eventually you're going to get there. Because I think, you, I think values can change. I think beliefs, I think your belief structure, that myo- neuroplasticity and all that stuff that's up in your brain, like you can re-hard, re-hardwire your brain. Yeah. You do things right. Like yeah. I, I didn't start running until I was 35 years old. That's a hard transition. <laughs> Hell yeah, it is. 17 years of from the time I graduated high school to 35, zero workouts.
3: Mhm. Dude,
0: that's the thing that the quickest way to change is to shape your environment. Get around the people where that's the standard. Yeah. Action or behavior that you want or desire. That's one because you do right now. <laughs> that's the <laughs> quickest way to change anything though and i've felt that so many times is like if i want to get around people that have my desired behavior you change so much quicker than to trying to like will everything to an existence because honestly it's harder to do things alone than if you're to do it yeah. as a group which is exactly what you alluded to earlier with your running group i imagine yeah. that you probably wouldn't be wanting to do all these runnings and, and and trainings and everything if you're just doing it solo
2: dude it's so boring alone So it's
0: brutal, I imagine. But I wonder, like, what you're running
1: from, yeah, running what you're running from, yeah, dude. A hundred mile, are you that? I don't even fucking that's ridiculous, (laughs) it's commendable, but ridiculous.
2: Uh, well, well, not gonna lie, it's it seems ridiculous. And then one of the guys in my group, and two actually, my brother and the guy, the two guys that paced me over this race. They're running the Tahoe 240 next year, 240 miles. Yes. And one of them did the Bigfoot 200 last year. Like, and he he got 38 out of a couple hundred, like not slow. And these are the guys I train with. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. So my life is going to be big. And, and here's the thing. Like when you start figuring out that when you do the, the hard things in your personal life, that they can transform your business life. I can spend more time away from my business with this stuff on my stories. And my employees look at that and go, That dude is a badass. And I have more influence being in my business less. It's a it's a unfathomable to think about because there's a small a
1: weird concept there, to think about.
2: Yeah. But what I've done is I've taught them that where we're headed is where we're headed. We don't negotiate our goals. Mm. Right. But my goal was to run a hundred miler and I don't negotiate that. So they would see me show up on the job and we'd be waiting for asphalt and I'd put in my, I'd pull my pants off and have my running shorts on and throw my running shoes on. And while we're waiting, I'm going to run towards the dump truck, wherever it's coming from. And then I'm going to turn around and race back. Right. Like I'm going to make this stuff happen <laughs> and I'm going to allow them the privilege of having a front row seat so they can see what this looks like. Mm, Lean by example. Yes. Because that's what my dad did for me. And this is what real men do. They show you. And then real men, like the, the best influencing men in the world, take people with them everywhere they go.
1: Mm.
2: But they, it's not an entourage. It's not a free ride. Like there's a, there's a prerequisite and a cost for admission. And, oh, and
1: you, you cut people off just as quick as you bring them on too. only the only certain ones stick around.
2: Yeah. Well, they cut themselves off.
1: Yep. Yeah. They boundaries And say, I'm not doing this to you. You're doing this to you.
2: Yeah. They'll self dop out. Yeah, exactly.
0: We're going to loop back to this because I really want to get into the ultra 100 and everything that you learned. But one of my favorite questions to ask a lot of people that come onto our podcast and you and I had talked about this, but I want to unpack it for everybody listening today. But I asked you when people call you for advice, what are they usually asking you about? What are they usually asking you about? You'd mentioned a couple of things and I want to unpack these building culture, getting through personal issues, which is Obviously understandable. Establishing common goals, dealing with disagreements, and the one that I really love, empowering your employees to become thinkers. But I want to unpack a few of these and break them down. The first one, talk to us about building culture. What do people ask you, and how do you think about building culture and
2: establishing those common goals? So – this one, the, the building culture and establishing common goals is all, it's all messy and intertwined. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, well, I want to build culture. I want to do great things as a company. That's great. But you have to have high values and a high value system to do that. Like you can't change something and you can't transmit something which you don't possess. So you mm-hmm. have to make mm-hmm. sure that you are a high value, high character individual, which people will trust. Culture is a lot about trust. If you ask the people in our organization, what makes them comfortable working here? It's that they believe the leadership when they say something. And I will tell them like, hey, you're getting a freebie because Lillian or Keith said this, even though it's not something that's good for the business, but because they told you it, it's good as gold and we're going to do this for you, right? Like we, we will have our arguments and our disagreements and our passionate debates behind closed doors, but we fully support each other out there so that what what the experience of our employees is is a unified front, right? They can't play the mom and dad game where I don't like this result, so I'm going to go ask the other one. So culture is a lot about consequences. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you answer a question and you want to take the shortcut and you like, if you're if you're, I mean Matt, you're a you're a framer. So if you're like, shoot, this board's a half an inch too short, that's ah, fine
1: fuck yeah just nail that shit
2: <laughs> well if you do that on everything yeah eventually, exactly eventually dude the house goes like this yeah or, or every ceiling has this like washboard look to it and you're like how did that happen i don't know must be the sheetrockers.
1: that's what we we try to teach that to new people as well Is that a, a little bit and repetition will add up to a lot over time
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, i tell people so the devil's in the details, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you think about the power of good and evil, call it whatever you want. God's oh. it, whatever. So, the opposition's job is not to create a dissent; it's just to distort. If I can get you one portion of a degree off, one quarter, one eighth of an inch, one sixteenth of an inch, if you repeat that over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again, the destination where you were headed
1: is trajectory way off
2: way off. My, all I need to do is distort you just a micro smidge so that you get to a totally different place than you were at it. That 1%. So culture is about making sure that people have clear direction and clear understanding of how we get there. A lot of people as business owners will say, hey, listen, we're going to have this great business, but they forget to tell the people the how. How we're going to have great businesses is we're going to have core values in which we hire fire and reward people. Mm. So we give out core value awards, how like truthful and transparent, purposeful, personal and situational awareness, values, relationship, and can do positive attitude. Those five awards cost us 2,500 in cash every quarter. Cause somebody in this business is getting one of those awards every mm-hmm. quarter at our meeting. We take everybody out. We do something fun for lunch. And people get re- rewarded. And guess what happens if you reward people for those re- for those core values? Oh,
1: they start they start going crazy. They stick They're around and they transcend everything. Them.
2: Dude, people do crazy things for a twenty dollars shirt. Crazy things, right? So if you start giving five hundred bucks away, and this is we we have decided internally that this is a hundred percent taxable money for the business. This is five hundred in cash to you, like in hundred dollar bills. We hand you. Mm-hmm. And we'll take care of the taxes on it because it's important that you guys get to do whatever you want with it. So we start creating these things that build culture, that establish the end goal. And then people are like, dude, I want to be rewarded. I want to be recognized. I want to be known, liked, and trusted.
1: To let you know that what you're doing is working. I, when I was younger, I had this little phase where I thought that I wanted to work retail. So I took over an AutoZone and and worked retail. Absolutely hated it, but um, I had a lot of people under me there. I was like 19 years old or something like that, but we had all these different awards and achievements that would be given out every quarter, like you're saying, or just case-by-case basis, and what would happen is you would get a bonus on your check along with like a little plaques saying, here's what you did, here's a situation, and holy shit, once one person got it at that store, it was like, oh, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. Mm -hmm. Everybody changed the way that they worked. And we're talking retail. Like most people don't care in retail, but they did. They did. It made a big difference. Yeah. You're doing something right there. I like that.
0: How much has that helped you get? Because I've been a big believer that your your own workforce is your most powerful recruiting tool. I've been saying that for the last few years now. I imagine that you're experiencing that on a day-to-day basis. It has to be.
2: So uh, there's a rumor that there's no people to hire? This is like, I've heard that there's no people to hire, but I have a stack of like 20, 30 people. I have probably got five people this week that have messaged me like, hey, looking for a job. Like you guys are hiring? Are you guys hiring? And I'm like, not at the moment, but I'm happy to meet with you. And what like the difference is that because we have the luxury of having this list, I can go establish relationships long before we ever bring somebody on.
1: And know mm-hmm. who you've got available once that yeah. time
2: comes. I'm basically dating these people before we hire them in the business.
0: Which is the best, that's the best yeah. scenario to be in.
2: Yeah. I want, I want to know <laughs> like what your business is like now. I want to know where you work, like what works well, what doesn't work well. I want to know how you do in high, high intense situations. You know, how do you communicate? Because I mean, we're in the trades. It's a lot of FUs and get out yeah. of here and you're an idiot. And so are you someone that builds people up? Or are you someone that gets things done? hmm right i don't want to get people i don't want to get the things done guy i want the guy that builds people up because if you want to go alone if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together so yeah that, that'll laugh
1: with, with that we we recorded a podcast a while back um it was actually episode seven if anyone wants to listen to that on how we can do like a better job at addressing mental health and overall addiction as well in construction um you've had your fair share of personal battles What are people coming to you? I mean, I'm I'm sure that since you've been through your own set of struggles, people can relate to you a lot, but what are people coming to you for um, advice on like personal struggles? We talked about like building them up from the beginning. Like what what are your goals? But what about the personal connections? What are people talking to you about?
2: Very uncomfortable things. They are, huh? (laughs) Yeah. So like it could be kids stuff. Like I've had guys come up to me and be like, I don't think my sex life is where it needs to be with my wife. And I'm like, well, let's talk about why. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, women need to feel safe. Are you making her feel safe? And he's like, I've never, what do you, yeah, of course she's safe, dude. Like our house got locks on it. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> the whole point, mm-hmm. like if you're missing something in your marriage and your in your relationship with your significant other, and it happens to be sex, oftentimes it's because they don't feel safe for some reason so let's talk about what she's feeling unsafe with or hey my i'm having struggles because my parents are you know my mom passed and i'm i don't know how to do the end of life stuff so we get to walk these guys through how to how to do an end of life like per peril like preparing for a burial or cremation Mm -hmm. you know what does estate planning look like um Mm -hmm. So those are some tough ones. uh, Some of the other ones are like, "Dude, my kid won't listen," and I'm like, "Well, I'm one of those kids that will listen." So let me tell you about how (laughs) we finally figure it out. Like, we're incredible individuals, just to let you know. Um, But like, dude, like, there's almost nothing off the table. Um, We had one guy who we pulled aside and handed the the UA to, and I said, "You know, what am I going to find if you pee in this cup?" And he started crying. Like he started weeping and we got him into rehab the next day. Cause we told him like, listen, you know, our drug and alcohol policy is a zero tolerance policy. And that the reason it's a zero tolerance policy is because I don't think you need drugs and alcohol to live.
1: Yeah.
2: And we work around big stuff. It's dangerous, yada, 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 but forget the safety stuff. Like you don't need it. So you have two options. You can go to treatment and keep your job and go through the treatment print and you can come back and we'll tell people that you just needed some time off. And then you can come back and you can tell them whatever you want. But I'm not going to break your anonymity because you need to go take care of this issue. And this has happened multiple times. So people know that if you're having an issue, like you're not going to lose your job. First and foremost, we're going to make sure you keep your health insurance. We're going to make sure that you you know, if you got a family, we're going to figure it out. Um, I'd rather get burned helping someone and not get quote unquote paid back because at some point in life, I'm gonna get returned in spades.
1: I have a question for you.
2: How yeah. often do you
1: sit back nowadays with the position that you're in, knowing everything that you've not like known, and having done everything that you've done? and like I- I'm just sitting here talking to you like for one of the first times face to face, and it's fucking incredible the conversation that we've had from the start, of hearing about how you were completely drug freaking crazy and off the rails to like, you're sitting here telling me that you genuinely have like heart to hearts with these people and want to like, do you think about that often about like the, the position you're in now compared to then? Like that's a fucking complete 180
2: dude It's not as obvious to me. Like I still, I still struggle get up, getting up in the morning and having a bad attitude. And like some days all I see are all the mug shots in the mirror. Mm. Like, you know, the demons in my mind are still there.
1: So then question, do you still feel that imposter syndrome today? Feeling like you shouldn't be in the position to talk to these people about this?
2: If it's about like changing their life and like personal development, I actually don't feel imposter syndrome there. I feel imposter syndrome when I walk into a room where people don't have those. So like I I walk into a a large business meeting where I have... uh, Like I probably have accomplished as much or more than a lot of the guys in that room, but I feel like the new guy. And I just want to sit in the back and not talk.
1: And is that because of your addiction and what you've been through?
2: Uh, I think it has something to do with shame. Like it takes a while, guilt and the the guilt and the shame or feeling like, what am I here for? Right. Like you kind of got to get over the idea. And this goes back to me, honestly, believing that everybody is more scared of you than you are of them. Like a a
1: lizard. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs)
2: And so when you walk into a room, it's rare that the dude that everybody in that room is feeling comfortable and they all want to talk to you. Yeah, people drink alcohol. They drink alcohol to enter the world. So if you walk into a big business meeting and it's like the first night, the reason everybody drinks and like they have open bars is it's designed to get you talking so that tomorrow when you're sober and you're having the business part of the business meeting, you already have broken the ice.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? So I figured out that anything that I would do drunk, I will do sober. So now I walk in and I'm like, I've accomplished a lot. There's nothing that I won't say on LinkedIn or Instagram about my life that that any of these people could find out. So I'm just gonna go ask them how they are. And everybody's favorite subject is them. Everybody's favorite word is their name. Mm-hmm. So if you can ask them about them and use their name, you are manufacturing relationship by introducing dopamine into their body Mm -hmm. right so just be engaged and don't talk about you talk about them and it's amazing how you'll find friends (laughs) it (laughs) is (laughs) Uh, Keith I, I
0: have to ask you before we touch on your ultra marathon you'd mentioned something and I loved it What's your biggest advice for empowering your people to become thinkers? I thought this was so awesome that you brought up because I think there's so many times companies are just trying to put a tool in people's hand and tell them to get to work versus building individuals to think for themselves so they don't have to micromanage. Walk us through your thought process on this and how you
2: do it. Two years ago, uh, we did 7 or $8 million and I was the guy sitting on the back end of a paver running the whole show from the seat driving the paper. And what I realized is that I had done everybody in our organization a gigantic disservice by becoming this hub for information and this problem solving depot, right? Like I was the guy that everybody would call with everything. And I realized that I was just creating a culture where I was necessary. And you can't get out of that. There's no easy way to fix that. And I said, well, I'm never going to get to my goals if I have to be here 80 hours a week. Like I need to, I want to be a dad like my dad was. I have all these aspirations. I want to run a hundred miler. I want to do all these things. So I need to figure out how to free up some of my time. So it was, for me, it was about awareness. I realized that I wanted a different outcome. And so I had to look at my actions and I started asking questions Somebody would bring me a problem and I'd say, well, what do you think? And they go, what do you mean? I'm like, well, use your head for something other than keeping your ears apart. Like (laughs) something like help me understand what the problem is. And, And what we've developed is a couple of like the end of that. It took a long time for me to become patient enough to get here. But now when somebody brings me a problem, I'm like, well, what are the options to solve it? And what I have to do is I have to support them in whatever options they come up with. And I have to ask them what one they would choose and what one they would sign their
1: name to. So rather than giving rather than giving them the solution that you feel is right, you're making them think for themselves. Yes. So
2: here's, here's a great example. So a guy calls me the other day and he goes, hey, I have this problem. In my mind, I'm running through all of the possible solutions.
1: Question, He's is the, this work-related or personal? Work-related. Okay.
2: So- I know he's, he's in a dump truck, the trailer, the trailers that we have to unload this piece of equipment on. It's icy. It's all bad. Like we have other pieces of equipment and I'm running through the solutions. And in about 10 seconds, I realize that I have to go get him, take him to another dump truck so that he can go back and get another trailer that's sitting next to the one that he's parked on. But he doesn't realize any of this. So I spend 30 minutes on the phone with him and walking him through this. And it was amazing how this worked at 30 minutes. He realizes The only other option is that we go get the truck that's at the mechanics because it's done. And then we can hook up to a different trailer and do this. As soon as he gets that out of his mouth, I come around the corner of my pickup. He goes, is that you? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, did you know all along that we were gonna have to do this? I'm like, yes. And he goes, but you let me sit here and sweat it out. And I'm like, yeah, because if I told you the answer, you never would learn.
1: Hmm. oh. I just went through something similar. So I'm I'm on like a, a panel of people that works with a company. Great people um, love them to death. But we just did this whole like product development thing. And they would ask us questions like about what we think of this. And we'd ask questions in return and they'd make us answer our own damn questions. And it sucked because the whole time we're like, we have questions, but we're answering them. it. It makes you think a hell of a lot more. But that freaking panel made me think about everything differently from then on yeah. out. So that's well, awesome that you're doing that.
2: Here's the thing. If they come up with an idea and it's their idea and they're willing to sign their name to it, this, this thing right here costs me a lot of money, but I have to let them do it.
1: Yeah. And Even if it means they fail. Yes. Okay.
2: And it, and it costs, it costs us dearly to let these guys do it because we do a post after and I'm like, how did that work? How do, it, how do you think it worked? And then they'll be like, dude, that didn't work at all. And I'm like, okay, why? And then they'll like, we make them go through like why this didn't work. Or they're like, well, if you were here, it would have worked. And I'm like, right. But I also would have chosen something different. So let's talk about what you chose. And they're like, why? Why are, why, what? And then they're curious about what I would have chosen. I'm like, we can talk about what I would have chosen after we're done with what you, you know, breaking down what happened. And almost always, there are two major issues that come up. One is, there's not one person in charge. One person needs to be ultimately responsible for every decision. And the other one is communication. There is a vertical and a path, a clear path of communication. We have an org chart. Everybody understands where they're at in the org chart. If the person above you is not available, you can go above the pers- that person. And then there is no fallback because you jumped around them because you're like, Hey, listen, I called and text and you didn't answer. So we have clear boundaries around how this works. If you need problem solving and somebody doesn't answer, so you can get problem solved fast, but it has communication empowerment. And then we foot the bill for your mistake because what it is, is tuition.
1: Well, you're also getting that you're getting them to think a lot more on their own, which is great too. Like I have, I have an issue with one of the guys that works with us because he people that he's worked with in the past questioned every single thing he's ever done. Nothing he's done has ever been correct, which is bullshit. And it's got him to the point where like, this man's been framing for like longer than I've been alive. And he's asking me questions that are so fucking basic. And I just tell him like, just do it. You know what you're doing, just do it. But people have freaking second guessed him and told him otherwise every single time for years that it's now like a, he knows what he's doing, but he, he's going to ask just because he doesn't want any repercussion mm-hmm. of doing bad. The CYA. Yeah, it's bad.
2: Yeah. And so we've got, I've got a guy here who was a youth pastor and he got beat into a, like, he got beat into that same mentality where somebody second guessed or micromanaged him into becoming submissive and everything he did. Yeah. I'm having to tell him, dude, if it's under this dollar amount, I don't want to be involved in the solve. Mm. I trust, number one, I trust you. And number two, I want you to trust you. And so unless it's 10 grand or more, I don't want to hear about it. Like I, I just don't, like it, it doesn't matter to me. Not that I have money to throw around, but I want you to know, because he's super frugal. I want you to know that I trust you with things that are really, really valuable.
1: Let it be a little bit of a learning curve as well.
2: Absolutely. And he, he was the one who organized our company retreat last year. And he made some severe mistakes. Like, let's let's let everybody ride the bus to the airport. We're going to, up, you know, we're going to spend a boatload of money on this company retreat. And then we're going to put everybody on a bus to get back to the airport. Doesn't really make sense. I was like, dude, let's keep the rental cars an extra two days. Yeah. I have everybody at the airport. Well, to him, he was trying to save money. But later he realized what that messaged to, to everybody else did not mean the same thing to them as it did to him because he had information in his back pocket that nobody else had. Right. So doing a post-mortem with him on like construction guys and their food, they're pretty passionate about it. We won't do (laughs) camp food again at our company retreat. What was that? We won't do camp food again at our company retreat. (laughs) Like we'll hire a caterer or something pretty fancy. Right. But when people started saying, Hey, well, what the heck's up with this food? I said, listen, if you say one bad thing to the guy that arranged the food, like you and I are going to have words because I trusted him just like I trust you to make decisions. And they're like, say no more. Good enough.
0: (laughs) I love that. I mean, you're just operating at a different caliber, Keith. You you're putting trust into your guys in the field and Honestly, the, the, the conversations that you have around mental health and, you know, being their wingman or whatever you want to call it, um, you don't come across that a lot in construction. We talked about yeah. that a lot on previous podcasts of, like, you leave your problems at home or, you know, you, you get bitched out if you make a mistake, which people stop trusting themselves to make good decision. I mean, you guys are playing chess.
2: Or the... We do, a, um, we do a Monday morning meeting, it's non-negotiable at 6 a.m. for everybody in the, in the production vertical. And the first thing we do, so men are not naturally inclined to give compliments. Like we don't, we're not taught about it. We're not taught to, to how to handle our feelings. So we talk about fit, like we will take icebreakers and it could be like, you know, cause everybody stands close To somebody they like but also they keep like the person they don't like like three away because i always want to keep my eye on that guy right so we will do icebreakers it's like give the third person to your right a compliment give like tell me something you you enjoy about the guy to your left so we're we're creating this openness and this vulnerability where people have to talk about the person next to them and then we'll, hand, like, we'll have a hat and you'll have a hat, a hat and you'll pull a name out. And that's the person you gave a compliment to this morning. And so we're engaging these people and I want to get to know you. And like, you can't say, hey, I really enjoyed my weekend. I was with my family. Like, it's not allowed. Like, mm-hmm. I want something real and tangible because what I want to know is if we tie your personal life to your business life, how I can continue nurturing the relationship and understanding you on a deeper level. hmm and that's the thing that that really the guys talk about. Our Monday morning meetings are like fifteen to thirty minutes and they're super simple, but they have a profound impact on the culture and the impact in those people's lives. Because everybody feels seen, heard, and valued because they get a chance to talk in front of everybody else
1: in the business. That's one thing I've never liked about this industry is how how closed down it is. You're not supposed to talk about anything. You like I compliment people most days just to get a reaction out of them because they don't expect it. It trips them out. Like, yeah. I love your jacket. What the fuck are you talking to me for? Like, I, know, I just <laughs> thought, I, thought it was nice. Like, but it it's so weird because like nobody does it. So it's yeah. nice to hear that you guys are and that it's more or less like a common thing because man, we, we need it right about now.
2: Yeah, we do. This is a broken world and a broken industry. And we're just trying to add we're trying to bring the opportunity back for people like I want people Mm -hmm. to know that you can make a good living in the trades and that it doesn't have to be like something that you're embarrassed of.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. Like there's this window of time when education became super big, that it was looked down upon. But now if you run the numbers, if you're really a math guy, this pencil's better Mm long-term, this pencil's way better because you don't start out 200,000 behind.
1: And with a cap on how much you can make. Yeah, exactly.
0: There's a lot of demand there too. A lot of people retiring also, which is a window of yeah. opportunity. I tell a lot of younger guys that reach out to us asking about the podcast where we've had multiple people like, should I get in? My parents are telling me this. I'm like, one, you know what you want to do. You're just asking for like an affirmation right now from That's a couple sucks. of guys that a couple of guys that run the podcast and you listen to, but one, you know the answer. And two, you're gonna do a lot better if you choose a, a career path you actually want to go in versus someone else telling yeah. you what you should avoid or so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah, Keith, I, I we got it. I I bet the endorphins are just running through you the last couple of days. I I want to end on some of this before we get into our fast five. But you just completed your first hundred mile ultra marathon. Uh, this was the first marathon, correct?
2: This is so I've run. I've never run a hundred miler before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've done a couple of fifty ks. I've done a fifty miler. Um, this was twice as long as anything I'd ever run before. I, I, I want to. I,
0: I could ask a bunch of surface for surface level questions, but you and I aren't like that. Yeah. I want to know what the experience was like and where did it take you mentally. Did That's you at
2: all? <laughs> oh yeah. No, actually, uh, I didn't. I didn't chafe on this one. So um equipment matters i'm not gonna lie equipment matters knowledge like awareness mm-hmm. so um i carry tubes of aquaphor in my running bag so that if i even feel the idea of chafing like take it out rub it on your pits run it on your other areas mm-hmm. um, because chafing will ruin will make a good race bad mm-hmm. in a heartbeat um it was it was hot and sweaty and i used a lot of lubrication to get through this and um, you are
0: you are in Oregon too. Were you, were you getting well, rained on? What, what was it like? Houston.
2: Houston. You were in Houston. I thought it was, wor- anyways, it doesn't matter. 80 degrees with a hundred percent humidity. At 6:00. <laughs> Holy shit.
1: It Jesus. Was,
2: yeah. So I ran that whole race with a, well, the whole race, I ran the whole day with an ice bandana. So it's a bandana you tie around mm-hmm. full of yep. ice and every, every hour I would put more ice in it and tie it back around my neck. And I was soaked head to toe with ice water because it was so hot how
1: long ago was this saturday holy shit yeah (laughs) Yeah.
2: i'm surprised you're here with us today blisters
1: the last couple
0: days
2: yeah saturday morning at 6 a.m we started i ran until sunday morning at 9 30 a.m it took me 27 and a half hours to run you didn't sleep no I'm
0: literally looking at the photos that you texted me of you sent some nice feet pics. No, they're awful. But the, the syringe that they drained it with and anyways, glad you're recovering well, but that looks awful.
2: So my feet hurt like crazy. They're swollen. I look like a diabetic who hasn't been taking care of himself. Um, But like a couple of days from now, I asked the doctor today, I was like, so when can I run? She's like, as soon as the swelling in your feet's gone then you're good to go. So sometime probably this weekend or Monday I'll end up like, so a week off is all I'll take and then I'll be back at it. But yeah, no, like dude, it was, um, mentally, this was, I was in for a grind. I knew that. I knew that it was Mm going to be hotter than anticipated. I entered this race looking at the average Houston day in December, and it's supposed to be 60 as a high and in the upper forties as a low. And it was 80 degrees as a low the morning we started it continued to stay that hot and got up above 80 and then the next night sunday night or saturday night into sunday morning it actually cooled down to about 68 so it was hotter than i've seen in months here in oregon so it was rough um the first two laps went great the third one dude i was alone i was stuck in my head i was wondering mm. like, it's mile 40 how the heck am, gonna, am i gonna finish this And then I got a text from a couple of my guys and they're like, dude, just get here. We'll get you to the finish. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right. So when I got to 50 miles, my brother ran 50, the lap four with me, 60 or 50 to 66. Then I had another guy, Ryland run from 66 to 83. And then my brother went back and ran the last 16 miles with me to the finish. So once I, I knew that once I got to 50, I was going to finish. I just mm-hmm. needed to get to 50 by myself. And then they, dude, it's it's like the community in this world, in this ultra running world is like epic. If you see someone on the trail and they're out there and they're in need of something, dude, there's like 10 people like, hey, what do you need? Mm-hmm. need water, you need something, you need whatever. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not going to ask for anything in return. Um, but mentally, dude, it was, there were a few times where I go, I'm not sure if I can finish this. And then instantly my response was, no, that's not what we dedicated ourselves to for this. We made it, we made two decisions. One is that we were not going to make emotional decisions based on feelings. Mm. Like the only way I was going to stop moving is if a medic told me that I was being medically pulled from this race. Like if I timed out, if I missed the cutoff at 7.00 AM, that was a whole different story. But I made that cutoff by two, over two hours. I made it by almost three hours. And then the the other one was that I was committed to taking reasonable suggestions. So at a certain point you get grumpy. And I told my wife this, I would imagine time to watch at a, at a certain point, you get grumpy and you're like, no, I don't want that. But what I committed to was taking suggestions from the people that were struggling. I said, no, I'm going to take all the suggestions. So like I got to the, to the done with the third lap, I was soaking wet. It was 10 o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night. And, uh, I'm soaking wet and they're like, you need to change your clothes. So in front of hundreds of people, I stripped out completely buck naked. They're helping me put my underwear on, put new shorts on, put new socks on, put a new shirt on and, uh, and like no thoughts to like, there's anybody mm-hmm. else. Around. They're like, just start taking your clothes off. And I'm, I just do it. Like, I'm just going to take the suggestions of these people. And they, they kept me safe. They kept me fed every time that I was slowing down. My brother and Rylan and the other guys that were there crewing were like, we're gonna get you through this, but we also want you to get to the end of this proud. Mm. We want to make sure that you get the time that you were hoping for. So here's what we're gonna ask of you. I'm I'm gonna push you. I'm gonna push you harder than you think you can actually go. And the only reason that I'm gonna let you say you can't is if there's a medical emergency happening with you. So there was a couple of times when I got overheated or had too much salt or something where my heart rate would go to like 170, 180, 190. And so we would just walk long enough until it calmed back down. Like we have, this is a, a long race. We got plenty of time, but we calmed back down. And then we'd finally found a rhythm where I could run about a 1340, just super slow. But after 200,000 steps, it feels really fast. Um yeah i imagine i was running about a 13 minute and 40 second mile and we could moderate my heart rate around 135 beats per minute Mm -hmm. and so i was in that threshold where i could maintain that for a really long time and i zoned out like i had just hit that flow state where i was like i'm finishing this race Just
1: great autopilot
2: autopilot yeah like hey um i got another blister and my my brother goes that's cool it matches the other ones
1: (laughs) what what i like is that you're saying that you had all these people around you and not once did any of them show any sign of weakness for you it it was never a you can stop if you need to it was a you're gonna finish this no matter what
2: dude there was a group of 10 guys that i hiked in san diego with earlier this year that they were this was their first ultra of any type normally if you do an ultra like your first one you're gonna do a 50k so 31 Mm -hmm. miles yeah kind of an introduction to what this is like, these guys were like, no, nah, I'm going to rip a hundred off for my first one. I'm like, "Good luck with that. Did they do it? <laughs> no, <laughs> it was an epic disaster for most of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, I mean, they got 60 miles. They got a long ways into it, but they had, they had no idea and they had no support system around them. And they were like, they went into the race saying, I'm just going to go as far as I can. So they started the race with an out.
1: Yeah, they started you knowing can- that it, as long as, if they get to a, a good point they can yeah. just quit well you started you, knowing you're not stopping
2: yeah i started knowing that failure was not a reasonable conclusion like take the take the exit you know that burn the ships thing <laughs>
1: don't
2: don't give yourself an out burn the ships like let's do this
0: this reminds me of the the 40 rule from david goggins which i'm sure that you're probably familiar with the yep. the rule is basically says that when you're feeling like you're completely tapped out uh you have about 60% left in the tank. Yes. You had posted something that, um, you know, you and I follow each other on Instagram, but I was reading your caption. I thought this was really interesting. I'm quoting you here. My head starts running, heart racing, thoughts like vultures consume my self-confidence. How did you battle those demons? Is it, was it when the, you know, you got past the 40% as when the the doubt seeped in? As
2: soon as I started taking action. Right, mm-hmm. like the times that I that I struggle with that self doubt is usually when I'm not doing something. Idle hands are tools of the devil, mm-hmm. dude. For a guy that's got massive ADD, I need to have a goal and I need to be functionally working towards it, doing something. So with, I'm around, said,
1: what did you think of
2: for a hundred miles? Um, you know what's crazy? I never one time turned. No, that's not true. I had my phone on and I listened to podcasts for like three hours of the 27. That was it. And the rest
0: just escapes you probably.
2: Dude, it's like the greatest meditation session in your life. Because you have to be in the moment. You have Mm -hmm. to work on focusing on your breath. You have to work on controlling your heart rate, which means composing yourself and like watching, watching directly on the ground, 20 feet in front of you. So that you don't step on a gator or a snake or, or a a root or something that's going to turn your ankle. And to be honest, you just have to not give yourself an out. Like the David, the David Goggins rule that 40% thing. um, I almost exclusively agree with that. With this being the difference, like it's only 40% if you realize that you have more that you don't have more. Mm. So if you realize that like when I'm tired, I got a lot more to give that's what it turned into. Like I talked about in that same post that you just read, dude, I ran 197 times and I ran 1462 miles preparing for this this year. Holy crap. You sent me that. Yeah. Yeah. So I ran a boatload of of miles and I was ready physically. The only thing that was going to keep me from finishing is if somehow my mental state overrode my physical state and Mm. You just have to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's why business, that's why you have so much influence with your fitness and your business life. If people see that we don't negotiate our goals and I say, I'm going to go down and run a hundred miles and you go run a hundred miles, will you become trustworthy? So I didn't do this just for me. I did this because it's good for me, but Mm -hmm. I also did this because I want to know how much I can go and how much I can do. What is that limit? What is, what is the limit for a drug addict that's, that started life over at 31, right? Like I always thought that I had to have either success or a marriage because my dad talked a certain way about his marriage. And what I'm realizing is that I can do amazing things. I can have an amazing marriage. I can be a great business owner. I can be a phenomenal leader. I can get an incredible friend. And all of these things can be simultaneous to each other. Like there's the only thing that the reason that I limped, that I thought those things is because that's what somebody showed me, what my broken belief system said was true. And when you're out there, like what I, when I was hurting, this goes to what you were saying earlier, Matt, when I was hurting the most, I would give more compliments to the people I passed. Mm. I'd give them a high five and say, man, you look great. And they'd, I'd say, how do you feel? And they'd say, oh, I feel like crap. And I'm like, well, you look fantastic. Get you out of your own head. Yeah. And so my goal became to sing ridiculous songs, like my feet hurt, you know, like <laughs> just chant weird things and to get people to smile, because if I can get them to smile, then I'm not stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. And so it became like a me against me. It was a me against me. And that last mile. So my, my brother sent me a message. Um, he said, I want you to run the last little bit of this mess, this race by yourself. So he takes off, I get it. I'm a mile and a half from the end. He takes off at the aid station and I'm eating the last little snack. And he sends me a text 30 seconds later. He goes, have your time with, have your gratitude time. And then he said, my suggestion is that you empty the tank. Mm. Like you need to run this last section as hard and as fast as you possibly after
1: 99 fucking miles, give it your own miles.
2: Yes. That last mile was under 10 minutes.
1: No shit. After Let's all that, anymore.
2: it was the fastest mile I ran, mm. and I, I, and I passed six or seven people in the last mile.
1: A strong finish.
2: Strong finish.
1: That's the, awesome.
2: So what I learned is that I'm capable of a lot more than I thought, and if I can do it at 245 pounds, anybody can. Dude, I don't look like a run a runner. I look like an NFL linebacker. Like. Like my shoulder, like every room I walk into, I'm the widest dude at the shoulder. (laughs) And I'm not the tallest, but you know what I do have? My superpower is grit. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, there's no quit in me. It doesn't exist. It's not possible. And what I figured out is if I decide, if I make a decision and then I dedicate myself to taking action, that anything is possible. That's what Uh, I want people to learn.
1: I like what you're 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 saying along the lines of you want people like you're doing this for you. Sure. But you're also doing this because you want people around you to know that you're going to stick to your word and you're going to follow through. Yeah. If if you were to go do this and quit on mile 32, everyone's going to hey, fucking need quit. But like the fact that you did it, you followed through and you succeeded. Like you're a good person to be around. I guarantee it. I, I love it.
0: This comes back to keeping promises to
2: yourself. Yeah. yeah. And the reality is, so I finished 75th, 75th, Out of uh, 125 people finished and there was like 200 people who entered.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And, you know, if I was to make excuses, I was maybe one of the heaviest guys there. Maybe I didn't look like a runner. Dude, nobody else looks like me. If I sent you pictures of all the guys that I run with, they're tall, they're tall, long and lean. And I've got a belly hanging out.
1: (laughs) Most people that run, I'm not making any assumptions. Most people that run look like a paperclip that you like twisted the little thing in it. Like I get why they run. Like I'm a big boy. I can run a little bit, but like, oh, I get winded, man. So props to you on honestly doing this. Yeah. That's that's freaking awesome. And I'm I'm stoked we got to touch on we we went through a lot. This has been a long episode, but it's been an awesome episode.
0: I love this one. I knew it was gonna be good.
1: And like like I'm saying, like, I don't know you personally, but like, and I know it might mean nothing, but I am genuinely fucking proud of you for literally everything that you've done. Like and this. I think that like you are 10 times more of a person having gone through what you've gone through to get where you are. I
2: I wouldn't change my past. People are like, don't you regret anything? (laughs) I'm like, sure, I have regrets. Like, do you want to- But it's it's
1: how you are today. Like yeah, all of that,
2: everything led
1: you to right here, wasting your time on a podcast with freaking (laughs) two dorks, sharing your story to thousands of people. And I love that. Yeah,
2: if you get- so this is the thing that I tell people: if you take pain and you add purpose to it, mm. power. Take your pain, add some purpose;
1: it becomes power. That's what oh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna be you're gonna be my Instagram quotes for about a month, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh,
0: I I I don't know what made me reach out to you, Mister Junior. It was several weeks ago. I, I don't I, I know what say it was. That- and and I've told this to Matt. I was like, I don't know why I reached out to him, but exactly. something told to me say. to. And I've told you, i told you this multiple times already, man. Um, ever since we met, we've only known each other for what, four or five weeks now?
3: Yeah. I, mean, I told you
0: after our, fir- our, after our first conversation, I texted you, I was like, dude, it feels like I've known you for years now. I don't know what it is, but I love that this is turning into a friendship. I don't even know if you need to hear this today, but I'm super fucking proud of you. And I'm proud that I've made a friend with the Keith of today, not the Keith from seven years ago.
1: The Rob, the cat off your car. So key. Keith senior, <laughs> yeah. I,
0: you better be listening to this too. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. You, you're going to have to interview my dad and get the other side because there's a lot more. There's a I lot would honestly more than- love to. Yeah, there's a lot more that's not hearsay that comes from his side. Like he can actually talk facts and figures. All <laughs> mine is just like something somebody told me.
3: <laughs>
0: no, oh, I like man. it. You have depth on the world. And that's what, um, I like being around people like that.
1: Yeah, me too. Keith, before we wrap up every episode, we end it with our fast five. These are five rapid fire questions to be answered in one sentence or less. Number one, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Tacos. Okay. Good choice. That's a great choice. Number two, what is one thing that most people do not know about you? I know you're an open book, so this one's going to be difficult, but.
2: Yeah. Uh, I hate lima beans. Okay. Like. Don't eat them. I'll gut them. Like I'll swallow them like pills if somebody serves them.
1: (laughs) I know what to not bring for Thanksgiving next year. (laughs) Number three, if you could go back and tell your younger self anything, what would it be? Believe in yourself. Number four, your one message to the next generation would be? Anything's possible if you put in the work. Number five, what does the term bread to build mean to you? just grit man just grit that's a lot of how you describe yourself i like that i'm glad you're i'm glad you're here today jr
2: i appreciate you guys i appreciate you guys letting me come and talk for way too long with you and share some of share share some of the purpose that comes from the pain of my past
1: and why we do what we do i I think all, all too often time like people probably see you today. And especially with the social world, I, I was scrolling through your Instagram and I'm like, Oh, there's this mug shot. Like you're very bold about like sharing your, oh, yeah. your story, but like you could so easily say, yeah, we did 17 mil this year and you look like you just have it all together without any issues. And the fact that you break down that wall and share where you've been and what you've been through, I think makes you an amazing person, man. That That's awesome.
2: Uh, it's through vulnerability that you, that you've, build relationships Mm -hmm. and it took me 30 years 30 probably 35 years to be comfortable to talk about who i've become and i feel like i've missed out on a large portion of life and i don't want other people to have to make the same mistake so if i can help other people through sharing my experience dude i'm all in all in i'm looking
1: forward to thanksgiving next year
0: Yeah. yeah Turn your pain into purpose. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. way to end the podcast. Yep. Keith, thanks so much for joining us on the Bread to Build podcast. Before we let you off the hook and do our outro, where can people find and connect with you? So
2: my business on Instagram is at Industries. You find us at knlindustries.com. Uh, personally, at Keith Calloway Jr. on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all the places, LinkedIn, um yeah, if you guys have any questions, if you need somebody to talk to, you need a support system, shoot me a DM. Like I, I know people all over the country. If you need rehab, if you need recovery, you need a place to stay, you want to change your life. Like, dude, I have hundreds of contacts all over the US that I'm willing to to connect you guys with. So shoot me an Instagram DM. If you Instagram DM the uh the any of the accounts um and you need help, like we're super as a family group, as an organization, it's part of what we do. So.
0: Everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. If you learned anything from this episode, drop us an awesome review, make sure to hit that subscribe button. If you'd like to follow uh, me on social media, you can find me on all platforms at Brett Goen, at We Are Hammer, or Builders of Insta on Instagram. Matt, take it away.
1: Thank you guys for yet another episode. This has been a, a good one. Um, you can find me on all social platforms at Matt Bangswood. Once again, um, just putting it out there. Keith's offering help as well, but addiction hotline is 1 800 662 4357. We'll see you next time on the Bread to Build podcast. <laughs>